Okay, welcome to the Edlow podcast. Subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, I would say this every time. This is another exciting one for me. I have one of my absolute favorite professional wrestlers on. I am here with none other than Jake the Snake Roberts. Jake, how you doing? I'm doing great today. Awesome. Awesome. It's great to hear that. Uh, tell me, how are you feeling in general? Beat up. Yeah? Yeah, beat up, worn out, <laughs> thrown out to dry. <laughs> well, I've, we, I've got some problems, you know. I mean, uh, I've got emphysema. Mm. And uh, that uh, gives me issues from time to time. But, uh, you know, my bones ache. You know, certain kind of weather comes through and damp, cold weather just kills me. Mm. Makes my bones ache like a toothache. Yeah. And this you is know. probably the worst time for that, you know. Yeah, it is. Through. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday was brutal. Hmm. Man. Well, let me let me ask you, you know, that's interesting because you're you're still rocking and rolling, though. I mean, you sign with AEW now. You're you're there with the righteous, which I think is a mm -hmm. great, great pair up. I love yeah. those guys. I do too. Yeah. Tell me, how did that come about? Uh, Jake, go to the ring. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do, you like working, it. How, how do you like working for AEW? I love it. Yeah. It's the best. Yeah. It's the best. What, what has been your, I mean, you've, you've worked everywhere, right? Yeah. I mean, you've worked for all the major promotions for the last 30, 40 years, right? right. Um, what do you what do you think is unique about AEW versus some of the other places that you've worked? They treat you like you're a human being. Mm. Mm. You know, they really mm. do. They uh, they cater to you. They make sure everything is there that's supposed to be there. Um, you're you're given comfort. Uh, the hotels they put us in are, are A one hotels, and they pay for it. Unlike Vince, mm. you know. Uh -huh. But uh, you know, it's yeah. uh, it's it's a dash of hope that uh, that wrestlers are being treated this good. Yeah, you know, and they they treat you good. Yeah, you know, I find this really interesting as someone who's a big wrestling fan and has been involved in the indie scene a little bit. One of the things that I think is really interesting is when you have a shift like this with AEW, it's kind of like a situation where when they're offering stuff like that, it kind of affects everybody, right? I mean, it makes WWE oh, sure. change. Sure yeah. it does. You know, uh, it, the best thing that could happen to WWE was for them to have competition. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. competition is a good thing. Mm -hmm. It makes them work harder on their product. It makes them uh, toe the line on how they treat people because if you treat people bad, they're going to leave. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, Vince has found out that he treats people bad because there's been a lot of people leave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. And it also seems to me like the guys who go to AEW, they seem to, for, for the most part, not everybody, but they seem to have a lot of fun. They do. There. Yeah, we, they get, we do have fun. Yeah. And they get to wrestle the way they want to wrestle. Yeah. yeah. You know? And they get to do their own interviews yeah. without having them sculpted. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me now uh, you've been in wrestling for so long. You've seen kind of the evolution. I mean, you were going 300 days a year, independent mm -hmm. contractor. If you don't work, you don't get paid. Right. I mean, you know, I, I think, would you agree that the conditions now are a hundred times better than they were oh, when you came up? A million times better, man. Yeah. Are you kidding? I'm, I remember working for $15 a night, man. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you the indie scene, at least the lower levels, that's about what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe, yeah. but yeah, not not where it counts, man. You know, it's yeah. uh it takes a while to get there, but it's well worth the journey. Yeah. Being somebody who's who's been in the business and and really, I mean, the thing that I, I thought was so fascinating about you is your ring psychology from promo to the match mm -hmm. was just, I mean, second to none. I mean, right. Um, what would you say to like a younger indie guy who wants to come up i mean they can't come up the same way you did it's just not no. the same what would you say they really should be working on to to try to get to that next level all of it 
yeah, right. all of it. You got to work on everything, man. Uh, uh -huh. Your interviews, you can practice those anytime you want, man. All you need to do is open your mouth and let it go. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and get to where you're comfortable. You know, the thing about doing an interview is you got to you got to believe it. Mm -hmm. If you believe it, the chances are maybe somebody else will. But if you go out there and do an interview where you're lackadaisical and uh, just blurting out words, people aren't going to buy into that. Yeah. Makes no sense at all. Why would they? Mm -hmm. Guy's talking shit and doesn't even know what he's talking about. So right. uh -huh. let it go. As far as wrestling, don't ever do anything out there that you can't do absolutely perfect. Mm -hmm. Because if you do, people will see through it. Mm. If you miss a guy by this much, you might as well miss him by this much. Right. Because the people, they look for that. Mm -hmm. You know, the fan looks for screw-ups. They look for missed punches, missed kicks. That way they can discredit you. Once mm -hmm. you've lost your, uh, uh, golly. Your credibility? Your credibility? Once you've lost your credibility, you've lost mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. Because credibility, you don't get back. Mm. Once you lose it one time, that's it. Mm -hmm. Those fans will never buy into your shtick again. Mm. You know, I tell guys that all the time and they just don't believe it. But mm -hmm. it's like, well, it, it'd be like, <clears throat> say I came to town to you and uh, took you out and got you effed up and everything and you wound up screwing a midget. Well, you went home and you woke up and you realized what you'd done. And you look at that woman that's laying next to you thinking, oh, my God, how did I do this to her? Oh, my God, I can't believe I did this. Oh, my God, I feel so bad. I got to do something. Gosh, dang, I got to tell her. I got to tell her. I got to be honest. This is one time honesty is not the best policy. <laughs> because you'll, you'll sit there and you'll tell her, honey. We've been married for 20 years and I've never, ever screwed around on you until last night. Mm. Does she believe you? No. No. Mm -hmm. You might as well have screwed 5,000 women mm -hmm. because you're going to pay the price. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. You lost your credibility. Once you destroy your own credibility, it'd be different if somebody else called you a phony. But when you sit there and call yourself a phony, then and you demonstrate that, then you're lost to the cause. Marriage and the business. Yeah. Did you now? Th that's another thing. Actually, you, you talked about the fans discrediting you. The fans are so different now than they were probably when you. Were oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I they mean, dissect they, you today. Yeah. Uh-huh. They truly do. Yeah. They're more, interesting. Satisfied. They're more satisfied if they catch a screw-up than they are a good match. Yeah. Well, that's what's so funny is that I've noticed, so around here <clears throat> on the indie scene, you know, you'll have your typical indie shows, and you'll get the typical indie fans. And then they're like shows at breweries. You know, someone will buy a show, and you go, and it's it's casual fans. It's so much better. Oh, yeah. You know, when you when you have people who aren't, who aren't so into the business and they're just there right. to have a good time. Right. They pop for, they pop for everything. Yeah, absolutely, you know? man. Don't you love that? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's great. You know, you go in there and uh, I just did a, I just did a show at a brewery and, and I, we were match one. I was working with this guy a little bit smaller than me and you can't see on the video, but I'm six, seven, two eighty five, Right. And so I just looked at him and we were just like, you know, listen, they're going to pop. He wanted to do all this stuff. And I was just like, they're going to pop for everything. Let's just work a body slam. You know, that's and, that's and, all you got to do. And when they hit that slam, you know, it was like Hogan Andre. You know what I mean? They, yeah. they went crazy. They went so, absolutely nuts. Yeah. And also, you know, being 42 years old, <laughs> the, the less the less bumps. <laughs> the better, yeah. You yeah. Know. You got that right. Yeah. So um, now tell me, you know, coming up, I know your dad was involved in the business. Yeah. Did you always want to get involved? No, I did not. I hated wrestling. Mm. Why? Why? Well, because I felt like wrestling is what took him away from the home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the truth was he took himself away from the home. Mm -hmm. you know, he, he didn't raise me. Uh, I was raised by my, my stepfather or my grandparents. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd see him once a year. So mm-hmm. I always, that was my out. That was my justification of why my dad wasn't there. Mm-hmm. You know, because I wasn't going to say it's because of him, because he's my dad. Right. You know, and uh, no, I didn't, I hated wrestling and uh, never wanted to be a part of it. But I graduated from high school. Uh, once again, dad didn't show up, but I wanted to go see him after I got out of high school and let him know that I graduated because mm-hmm. I was the first one of my family to ever graduate high school. Mm. So it was a big deal. And I graduated with honors. I was going to mm. go to college and uh, become an architect. That was my dream. Mm. And I uh, went down to see him. I told him I graduated from high school as well. That's good. That's good. Right. That was it. Yeah. And I told him I was going to go to college. He's like, well, I hope you don't want anything from me. Mm. Like, why would I want anything from you? You've given me nothing so far. Yeah. What's, what's my expectations, Dad? Right. And uh, really, all the only reason I was there is I wanted him to say, I'm proud of you. Yeah. And what I've accomplished. Mm. And he just couldn't spit it out. So a few nights later, I went to a wrestling match where he was performing. And after about seven or eight beers, my young mind and ignorance got together and said, if you want your dad to be proud of you, you got to get in the ring and wrestle. Mm. So I went up and challenged the guy. Mm. And uh, I got stretched. (laughs) I got stretched this way, that way, and the other. I pissed on myself, passed Mm. out. Hmm. Yeah, I took his time with me too, man. He sat there and waited for me to wake back up and continued what he was doing. Man. And after about 10 minutes of it, he let me go because I didn't get away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I literally crawled to the locker room. Crawled. Hmm. I was hurt. Yeah. And my father was standing there waiting on me. My father was seven foot and 400 pounds. Hmm. And he looked down at me and said, I'm ashamed of you. You're gutless and you'll never amount to anything. Wow. That's not the words I wanted, man. Yeah. But I remember that night so well. And I remember what I did that night. I went back to the house and I prayed to God. I prayed to the devil. I prayed to whoever would listen to me that I would do anything whatever it took by crook, by theft, by whatever reason, whatever needs to be done to become a professional wrestler and be better than my father. Mm -hmm. Even after I accomplished that, I still didn't get what I wanted to from him. Mm -hmm. You know, he never came to me and said, I'm proud of you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, He would tell other people he was proud of, that he was blown away by what I've done, mm-hmm. but he wouldn't tell me. Now, I don't get what's wrong with that or what's wrong with him, but it was wrong. Mm-hmm. Do you so know? It do you me know, a lot of problems. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Do you know much about his, his background, his parents? Yeah. Yeah. You think that informed the reason why he was the way he was? Sure. I believe that. I'll give I mean, that I'll... out. Yeah. His dad was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. you know, a hopeless alcoholic. Mm-hmm. He would wake up drinking and go to sleep drinking, Yeah, you know, or pass out. He didn't go to sleep. He passed out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's interesting you bring this up because, uh, you know, I shared with you off air. My dad is a 25 year you know, he, he's 25 years sober. He was an addict and uh, all throughout my high school, he was, you know, in and out, just kind of had some, you know, he would do well for a while, relapse kind of yeah. situation. And then, and then when he finally went to rehab, you know, we lost everything and uh, he went, but he went to rehab and he got clean. And uh, I held a lot of resentment for him for a lot of years. And he had a really, I mean, he had a rough, you know, he didn't have anybody who was a good you know, he, he didn't have anybody who was a, a good role model for him. He met his dad three times in his life, you know, wow. probably some, 
And so now that I'm a father, you know, I'm 42 years old. I got four kids myself, you know, uh, and I see the pressure that he's under, you know, uh, yeah. that he was under because he was I'm at the age that he was around the age when he went to rehab. And it, it really informs him like, wow, you know, if you didn't have somebody to be I mean, he didn't have anybody to be like a, you know, to be a good example or a bad example. He just didn't have any example at all. Right. You know, it really it kind of informs me. And, and I know that you're you know, now you've you're a little bit older and have some some years behind you, some experience. Yeah. What what is uh, what would be your uh, advice to fathers out there? Um, what would you recommend for somebody? Just give the kids your time. Mm. That's really what they want. They want your attention. They want your time. Tell them you're proud of them. Get excited for them. Mm -hmm. Hell, enjoy it. Yeah. You know, uh, I miss so much being on the road. Mm -hmm. You know, I missed, I missed all the ball games, baseball, football. Missed it all. Mm -hmm. And you, uh, I regret do, that. Yeah. Let me, I had an interesting interview with Tito Santana. Um, and I asked him, I said, uh, you know, now you got some years, you, you did everything in the business you could. Uh, and I go, uh, do you, do you regret it? And he said, Oh, if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have gone and started a business or done something. Yeah. Do you, do you think, do you ever think to yourself, I wish I wouldn't have been a wrestler or do you say, Hey, no. you know what? Okay. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, the passion that you get out of wrestling, there's no comparison, mm -hmm. you know, to, uh, to go city to city and, and perform in front of thousands of people or perform in front of 200 mm -hmm. gives you such a rush. Mm -hmm. And it's the people that you meet. That's what I wished I would have done. I wished I would have written down names and gotten phone numbers mm -hmm. all the connections that I made over the years. Right. Cause that book would be worth some money. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, good God. I met everybody from Donald Trump down, man. Yeah. Hung yeah. out with them. Right. You know, it's, it's interesting too. uh, going back of all those times, what do you think was your favorite, um, you know, your favorite guy to work with favorite angle? Oh man. Favorite guy to work with. There's too many. Hmm. There's just too many favorite angle. Probably the blind thing I did. Yeah. With uh, Martel. Yeah. That really stuck out. Yeah. I had a lot to do with that angle. I was the idiot that come up with the contacts <laughs> and put that shit in my eyes. <laughs> then would walk over everything. Yeah. You know, there were a couple of times. Uh, was that WrestleMania seven or eight? Yeah. Yeah. yeah seven. So so, you know, I remember there's a couple of things that stick out to my mind, in my mind of your career. That was one of them because that match was so well. First, I think the angle leading up to the match was really well done. Hmm. Then the match itself, you it really perfect. believed you couldn't see yeah. through those, you know, through those, those claws. Yeah. And it just, it worked out so well. It was such a good, as someone who's a student, like as someone who's a student of wrestling a little bit, the psychology of that was so good. Yeah, and the other thing that sticks out to me was a promo you did. You were you had stolen the million dollar belt from Million Dollar Man. Yeah, I think WrestleMania six. I think the Muck of Avarice. Yeah, yeah, that promo. Even I remember seeing it when that happened and going, "Wow, he is going to destroy the Million yeah. Dollar Man," and it stuck out. It's always stuck out to me. Where did you come up with that? I just do, man. It's probably sitting in a bar drinking a beer. Smoking a joint, you know it's. But it's it's interesting because your vocabulary. I mean, to have that vocabulary just mm -hmm. there. I mean, do, were you were you always a big reader, or where did you get? Yeah, that I like to read. I like to listen to. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I got a lot of my interviews from music. Oh, interesting. So uh, you know, Pink Floyd, Rolling Stones, uh, a lot of them. You mm -hmm. know, Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, you know, just take uh, little snips and put those into your interview. Because it's a funny thing. If you say something 
that people recognize, they recognize it without even knowing it. Yeah. It'll click in their mind. I've heard that before. It must be true. <laughs> you know, right. like you say, I'm the, I'm the boy at the end of the block your mama always warned you about. Christ, every kid in the world knows that. Right. Because mama has warned them about somebody at the end of the block. Yeah. You know, and uh, put fear in your heart. Sure. Man. You know, as you um, as you watch and you see the landscape, who do you think it, it is that is kind of the, uh, would you say, the, the Jake Roberts of this generation? Bray Wyatt was. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, it crushes me when I think about that. Yeah. What a talent. What a piece yeah. of talent, man. And uh, gone so so young. Mm -hmm. You know, just uh, blows me away. You, you know, know what's you know what's interesting about that as a as a fan of wrestling? You know, the time that you came up was such a unique time because all of you guys at one point or another were a main eventer in the territories and Vince right. just brought you all in. Right. But I think that now, you know, wrestling itself is such a draw. Like the WWE name is such a draw. The wrestlers don't have to be as big of a draw as they were back then. No, they don't. But but the thing is, is there are a few guys where when their name is on the marquee, you are you're more incentivized to buy a ticket. And Bray yeah. Wyatt was one of those guys. Yeah. I think Roman Reigns, MJF, yeah, those are guys who have it. Who, who are the guys you think are going to be the, the big draws next? Bro, I have no idea. Yeah. You know, there's a few guys in uh, AEW like MJF that uh, have got it together. Um, yeah, there's there's several guys that are coming up that way. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm not going to single somebody out because that means I'll be leaving somebody out. And I don't want to do right. that to anybody. Sure, sure. So now that you've, you know, you're, you're still kind of contributing to the business, right? You're still involved. Um, what are some, are there other things that you like to do now? Uh, oh, yeah. Kind of, what, what are some of your other interests? Fish. Yeah. I love the fish. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. I love me some fishing, man. Yeah. Damn right. Yeah. How, how often do you fish? Probably once every two or three months. Really? I'd yeah. like to do more and I'm going to. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't care what time of year it is. I'm planning a trip in December. Yeah. I don't give a fuck how cold it is. <laughs> Fish don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you planning on going? Anywhere interesting? Lake Texoma. Okay. All right. North of Dallas. Nice. Fish for stripers. Nice. You ever, you caught, a, a, you ever caught a striper? No. No. Well, they go from about 16 inches long to about three feet long. Mm. Mm -hmm. And man, you hook a good one and it's a blast. Mm. It will mm. wear your ass out trying mm. to get that thing up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, it will, it'll blow you up. Sometimes you got to hand off to somebody because you just can't hold on any longer. Sure. Do you have some, some people that are like your fishing buddies? Oh yeah. Yeah. I take my boys and, we got several friends that come. Uh -huh. We got a buddy out of out of uh, New Jersey that'll come. We got another buddy out of California that will come. Mm. Then a couple of wrestlers like to go. Nice. But uh, we just go out there. And we'll get four to six of us. Mm. We got a real good guide, and uh, he's full of shit and, and war <laughs> stories. And uh, you know, he was in the service, so we all take this. We all talk the same language. Half this, yeah. half that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and uh, sit back, and uh, sometimes the boys will light up a cigar and huff and puff on that and just have a good time. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I'd rather catch fish, but if I don't, I'm not pissed off. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the time sitting on that water, just enjoying the view and, and yeah. nature, it's a hell of a good time, man. So having that time away from your boys – you know, when you're, when you're traveling so much, mm -hmm. uh, what does it mean to you that you're able to do that with them now? Oh, it means the world to me. Yeah. It means the world to me. And it mm -hmm. does to them too. I've got eight kids. Wow. You know, four boys, four girls. So mm -hmm. unfortunately my relationship with, uh, 
three of them's not too good. We're mm. still working on it. Not going to give up, but I got to respect their their space and uh, mm -hmm. in time they'll they'll come around. Yeah. I yeah. Hope. Are you uh, so? Are you? You know, it's interesting because relationships are they're like relationships with kids. I mean, my kids are younger, and sometimes they can be real hard. They're all so. Oh different. my god. Yeah, but. Uh, are you, are you currently, you're open to reconciliation. They just need some time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wide open for recon reconciliation. I'll do anything for it. And, uh, mm -hmm. and they know that, that I'm willing to sit down with them or I'm willing to go to, go to, uh, counseling. I'm willing to do anything. I'll, I'll have a mediator. I don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to lie to them. I'll tell them the damn truth. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important. You know what I mean? Is, is being able, yeah. yeah, because it's real hard, especially when you've been hurt by somebody. I mean, I'm sure yeah. there's some hurt there from not being there and some of your issues being oh, open yeah. to, to being willing to hear it. And I know like with my, with my dad, that was one thing was that he was willing to listen when you had some resentment, willing yeah. to say he was sorry, yeah. give his perspective. Yeah. It really went a long way. I had a lot of resentment for a lot of time, and it really took a long time for me to get rid of it. But now we're great. I mean, he's a great guy now. You know what I mean? And, you know, I have a I have a sister who's 21 years younger than me, and she I sometimes get a little annoyed because I'm like, you have a dad I wish I'd had when I was your age. Right. And uh, but at the same time, I'm not because it shaped me as who I was. You know. Right. Well, it made you it made you cognizant of what's what's out there. Yeah. What yeah. can happen. Yeah. You know. I've, you know, I've been to a few jails and I've been to several rehabs mm -hmm. and in either place did I meet someone that said, you know, Jake, when I was growing up, my dream was to become a drunk and an alcohol uh, and a junkie. Hmm. Nobody dreams of becoming an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Nobody dreams of becoming an, an addict. Mm -hmm. It's something that happens to you through life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It could have, it could have stemmed from his parents it could have stemmed from an ex-girlfriend. It could have stemmed from anything, man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you get some hurt that's inside of you and it grows. Resentment grows and grows and grows. And it's got to find an outlet somewhere. And the bottom line is we're tired of hurting. Yeah. Unfortunately, we turn to something that can't help us. I've never, I've never seen any drug that makes me a better person than it did before I started. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. She has a fucked up mess for several days, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, alcohol is the same way. It doesn't make you a better person. Yeah. It's interesting. I heard a, a therapist one time say, <clears throat> really, drugs, drinking, it's really just an unhealthy coping, coping mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. And if you just fix the underlying issue, then the addiction is easy. Then, then you won't have the addiction. And I've heard you. I've heard you in pod in podcasts and interviews before talk about you really started with painkillers after Honky nailed you with that yeah. guitar. Yeah. But but the addiction part of it, do you if you don't mind? It was there asking, before. Yeah. Where where do you think that came from? Was that from your dad or something different? I think it's from genetics. Okay. You know, my grandfather growing up as a kid, seeing my grandfather uh, the way he was. I mean, his thing was by the time I got home from school, he'd be passed out. Mm -hmm. I mean, he'd piss on himself. He'd sit there in the piss and everything, you know, and just, you know, I couldn't bring somebody home from school. Right. I couldn't let them in my house. Sure. I was a bedwetter when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Well, we didn't have a washer and dryer. So grandma, she had to wash those things out by hand and then hang them on the line outside. Mm -hmm. And they'd be out there with a the great big yellow circle in the middle of it. Hell. Anybody that drove by knew somebody was a bedwetter in that house. Right. right. You know, and uh, that caused a lot of shame and a lot of embarrassment. Sure. So I always had an angry edge about me. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons I came up with that snake gimmick is because with that snake in the locker room, chances are nobody wants to talk to me. They just want to know about that fucking snake. Right. <laughs> you know. And they're keeping their eyes on the snake. They're not keeping their eyes on me. They're not asking me damn questions and shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
They're just wanting to know if it's safe to go around that son of a bitch. Yeah. Well, that, well, that's interesting because you in the last, you know, I'd say in the last, at least the last 10 years, 15 years, you've been so open. You seem very open to talk about anything. Yeah. And it sounds like back then you really weren't. Were you just, I wasn't. I was not really, yeah, just not really ready to talk about the, that. Stuff. I was hiding because I still had so much shame. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing glory. There's no glory in being an addict or a drunk. <laughs> right. You know, you might be Mr. Big Shot when you're drunk, mm-hmm. but nobody remembers that shit. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, nobody thinks of a, a drug addict as somebody that's successful. Mm-hmm. So it just brings more shame. And uh, no, I was hiding, man. I, I hid everything. Mm-hmm. I didn't want people to know that my father was a pedophile. Mm-hmm. But it's something that I grew up around. Yeah. You know, him getting young girls and uh, God knows what all he did to him. Yeah. But he was, it didn't bother him to have him around me. Yeah. You know, we go to a hotel and he'd put me on one side of the hotel and him on the other side of the hotel in a room that had connecting doors mm-hmm. for him and his little girls. Yeah. And that was hard to live with. Yeah, I got to imagine. You know, getting back in the car the next day, driving some more, knowing what had happened last night. Mm-hmm. You know, and just having to look at that man thinking to myself, what a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. You know, these and guys that, and are that's, 13, and that's da- 14 years old. And, that, and that's your dad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Did, did that ever make you feel like, man, like, that's my genetics. Was that yeah, like, it did. It did. It scared me to death. Yeah. In fact, my, uh, my fifth child girl was 18 years old before I finally let her sit down in my lap. Mm. I wouldn't even hold him as a youngster hmm. because I was afraid something would come over me. Mm. And I would turn that way, mm. scared to death of it. Yeah, but yeah. it's no longer there. Sobriety helps. Yeah, talking about it helps. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. You know, what what was the the switch that flipped that helped that turned you from being just angry, building it up inside, to letting it out and talking about it? Well, they say you got to get to the bottom mm-hmm. of the barrel. Mm-hmm. Well, I went beneath the barrel. I went under the barrel <laughs> and uh, had lost everything. And uh, it was on my last legs. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was praying to die. Mm-hmm. I really was. Mm-hmm. And uh, being broke, destitute, just a complete fucking mess. It went to 310 pounds when I wrestled at 240. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, a buddy of mine, Diamond Dallas Page, yeah. came to the rescue. Mm-hmm. And uh, he brought me to Atlanta from Texas, paid to have me moved. Uh, paid all my bills. I moved in with him. He continued to pay all my bills, all my obligations. He paid for three years, three years. I paid him back. Sure. But he paid everything for three years. So I didn't have any outside issues, any outside pressure coming. Mm -hmm. You know, he made me clean up my driver's license. And after I cleaned it up, I cut it up. Mm. Because the last thing an addict needs or a drunk needs is a car. Yeah. That's just a, that's the recipe for disaster right there. Mm -hmm. If I had a car, I'd go someplace to get me some shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not even know that I was doing it. It would just happen. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so moving in with him knowing that I'll never make it 
there's no way in hell I can go from doing an eight ball a day mm -hmm. every day and drinking at least a 12 pack or maybe a bottle of vodka with it. Mm -hmm. Cold turkey and not just fuck off. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? I did. I went cold turkey. And by the grace of God, because God's the only one that can cure you like that, man. I didn't go through the DTs or any of that shit. I didn't, I didn't jones so bad that I had to have it. In fact, I didn't, I didn't have any need for drugs at all. Not once did it come to my mind, you need to go get high. Hmm. And that's just the good Lord above. Now, I, I'm sure that praying helped. Yeah. But uh, my prayers were answered for sure. But it wasn't a smooth road. I mean, there were hiccups. I think in three years, I screwed up five or six times. Mm -hmm. You know, but it'd be the first time was like in three months. Then mm. the next time was in five months. Mm. And the next time was seven months. So I was getting more time in before I'd screw up. Mm -hmm. And finally, at the last, I'd been clean for over a year whenever I moved out. Yeah. Man. And, I, and I still hadn't got a driver's license uh, at that point. Uh, but when I moved out, there was a necessity there, a need. So I, I went and bought a car and and that was something that I hadn't done in years. Buy something really decent. Yeah. You know, I'd spend a thousand dollars on cocaine anytime. Right. But I wouldn't I wouldn't buy a new TV. Right. I'd rattle that old one till it fell off the wall. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't treat myself good. I'd just spend it on drugs or alcohol. Yeah. A good you time know, to me was going out to the liquor store and spending $500. You know what what is it, you know, you, I got to think during the time that you're that you're you know an addict that you know in your mind that it's bad. You shouldn't be doing it. Oh, sure you know it. So so why what is it about being an addict that propels you to keep doing it? You want to escape the pain. Mm. You want to escape the shame. Mm -hmm. You're tired of looking around the room and seeing nothing but garbage, nothing but broke down shit. Uh, you're tired of looking in the mirror because you're seeing broke down shit there too. You're tired of looking at yourself. I wouldn't go shopping unless it was midnight or later. Because mm. I didn't want anybody to see me, how bad I looked. You know, I didn't, I didn't shave. I didn't do shit for my body. Uh, I wasn't clean. I just let myself go because I didn't give a fuck. Because as soon as I woke up, I'm going to find a way to get high today. Some way. I'll sell something. I'll do something. I'll borrow from somebody. Man, now, now, uh, so now you're you've been sober. How how long have you been sober now? Uh, Eleven years. Eleven years. Wow. Yeah. So, um, going from a place where you were praying to die to yeah. now yeah. being sober eleven years, signed with AEW, yeah. working with the righteous, doing these things. Do you? I mean, your mindset now. You got to be thinking this is just a second chance at life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I thought that once I got sober, you know, and uh, I had a, a, a awakening of sorts. Uh, I'd been in, at the house for about 10 months. And man, I was working out every day, but my shoulder was just killing. Hmm. Well, last thing a drunk or junkie's going to have is insurance. <laughs> you <Right>. know, <laughs> screw that. <laughs> Let me have that money back. Right. Well, I need surgery. Mm. Well, Dallas, you know, he says, you know, we're going to try something. Like, what? It's called a GoFundMe. 
what the hell is that? So he explains it to me, and I'm like, Dallas, there ain't nobody going to give you money to have me have surgery. He said, you'd be surprised what people that love you will do for you. I'm like, man, there ain't nobody out there going to give shit. And they put that thing up, and in less than 24 hours, we had $20,000. Wow. In less than 24 hours. So did you have to do an arthroscopic, or was it a total shoulder? Uh, arthroscopic. Okay. Yeah, I'm a yeah. I'm a I'm an attorney. I, I work in personal injury and wrongful death, so I know a little bit about that stuff. Yeah. So how was the recovery? Oh, it was it was uh, it hurt. Yeah, it hurt. Especially especially you know, they while you're while you're out, they tell you we're sending a machine over to your house, and we'll show you how to use it. So they send it over to the house. They show me how to use it. Then they tell me, whatever you do, do not push that button right there. <laughs> I'm on, I'm on painkillers. Sure. So sure. what did I do? Hit the button. You damn right I did. And man, <laughs> that thing shot my arm straight up above me, man. I almost yeah. shit myself. <laughs> my God, I screamed, tried to get out of the chair, but I'm strapped into the damn thing. Yeah. Oh my God! It just kept going up and down, up and down, up and down. <laughs> yeah, I had Man. I had I had two bone spurs. One of them was over two inches long. Oof! Yeah. And every time I moved my shoulder, it was just bringing the muscles over that thing. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Man, now do, when you were in at Dallas's house, I know at some point you brought Scott Hall in. Was he in there the yeah. same time you were? Yeah. Okay. Talk to me about that. I mean, you probably knew him. Uh, were you guys friends oh, yeah. before that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we were. So see, seeing that was probably pretty good for you, too, seeing him recover. Bringing Scotty in and uh, him jumping in and uh, really working at it. Mm -hmm. you know, he, he had to have a GoFundMe for his hips. Yeah. And they raised over $100,000. Yeah. To have his, have his hips done man but uh you know it, it showed me that i didn't know shit about people mm -hmm. it also showed me there were a lot of people out there that loved me and what did that mean to you i mean you, you know you're sitting there the in the world to me man i thought i was i thought i was dead and forgotten mm -hmm. i thought everything i'd done had just been forgotten mm -hmm. nobody wants jake around Hell no, they don't want a drunk and a junkie around, but they'd like to have Jake back. Yeah. Right. And that's what it showed me. Yeah. You know, I it, I just something popped into my head. I got to share this story with you. <clears throat> um, so probably, this is probably 1999, 2000 is when I, it's probably 98 actually, because I just started training wrestling. There was a show here in Sacramento at the Memorial Auditorium for the National Wrestling Council. And uh, it was this guy named T.C. Martin. He ran the show and he booked the main event was going to be you and Coco Beware versus Honky Tonk Man and Greg Valentine. You guys were the main. Mm. They had Sabu there, too. First time I saw Sabu live mm. ever. I didn't even know what ECW was at the time. And so anyway, but this is what I, you know, um, so this was at the time, I believe. So we we show up and we go and we, you know, they had everybody signing autographs. You weren't signing autographs. And we could hear some of the wrestlers talking. And you were you were in one of your addictive times. And, and I got to be honest, when you got out there, it's pretty clear. Okay. Yeah. But, but there was something that I thought that was really interesting about that, that really, that shows me your character. I don't know if you remember this. So at intermission, you came out to take pictures with people. And there was a mentally handicapped kid in the front row. Mm -hmm. And you walked over to him and you said, I like your shirt. Trade me shirts. And that kid was like, you know, that kid's dad could not have. He almost jumped through the roof because you he the kid said, my shirt won't fit you. And you said, I bet you, you traded the shirt and that shirt what did not fit you. <laughs> but you, put, you put it on anyway. And then uh, you left, you know, and then you came out in the main event still wearing the shirt. And, and that was, I watched, I 
I was watching you guys, but I watched the kid, and that kid was beaming when you came out yeah. wearing his shirt. And it just goes to show me that even, even in your addicted modes, you still had a really good heart and really yeah. care. You yeah, know, and I, I just care, man. and and that is uh, you know, that's the thing that I've also learned. You know, I, I was lucky. I have a brother who who's different than me. You know, we both grew up with our father. I learned, I was like, I'm never touching a drug my entire life. You know, he went complete opposite, you know. And um, but one thing I did learn through that and other things was that nobody is all one thing, no. you know. Just because you're an addict doesn't mean you're a bad person, it just means you're an addict. That's it. Yeah. And uh, and that's something you struggle with. And so, yeah. So now, I mean, how old are you now? 68. 68 years old. And uh, I got to ask you, you know, wrestlers' timelines are a little bit lower. Are you surprised to be 68 and still going? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought I'd been dead 15 years ago. Right. Yeah. So um, now you go to conventions, you do these yeah. things. Who who are your favorite guys to like run into? Steamboat, yeah. Greg Valentine, Bob Orton, yeah. Uh, hell, there's a long list of them, man. Yeah, you know. Okay, I want to talk to you for the few minutes we have left. There's a there's a few things I want to talk about about that. Just as a fan, so uh, your run with Honky Tonk Man, yeah. Felt like it went on forever, and and but you guys like always had a little bit of magic in the ring. Yeah. I think Jimmy Hart had a lot to do with that, but yeah. But but what was it about working with Honky that you guys worked so well together? Well, I think I could work with a broomstick. Yeah, you know, uh, and have a pretty good match. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've actually done it a couple of times, but I got beat both times, so I wasn't going to bring it up. <laughs> But uh, it was just so easy, uh, number one, because what he did was a shoot. <laughs> he nearly <laughs> fucking killed me. Yeah. So it's easy to show a little animosity or even hate. Mm -hmm. you know, I hate to say hate because that's such a powerful word. Mm -hmm. But him and I still have problems. Mm -hmm. And uh, you put both of us in the ring right now, you can still see it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah. uh, that is just what it is. Yeah. Well, that, now that's the other one I wanted to talk about was the run with Steamboat, because mm -hmm. I remember watching Saturday Night's main event when you planted him on the, on yeah, the concrete. concrete. And, my, and I remember my dad going like, oh, he's legitimately out. Yeah. In, in that moment, what did you think? I thought he, he was dead. Oh, yeah? Yeah. 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 See, I, I told him I couldn't do it. Hmm. I told Vince McMahon, uh, I told the other guy, the, the guy that Steamboat wanted me to do it for, what was his damn name? I can't remember it now, but doesn't matter. Steamboat, this guy had given Steamboat his big break in mm -hmm. Mid-Atlantic. Mm -hmm. So Steamboat, Steamboat wanted to repay him for that favor. Mm -hmm. And this guy went to Steamboat and said, I really need you to do this for me, Ricky. You know? Ricky said, okay, I'll do it. Mm. And I said, Steamboat, you can't. It'll kill you. Mm. It just can't be done. Mm -hmm. And he swore up and down. He said, I'll get my hands down. Don't worry about it. I'll block it. I'll block it. I'll block it. I said, no, you won't. You won't be able to. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was right. Yeah. His head swelled out four inches. Yeah. Four inches. Took two weeks for his eyes to turn black. Wow. That's how much swelling was up there. Mm, man. But his lucky didn't kill him. Yeah. Man. Um, and so, but I remember you just, you picked him up and put him in the Oh, rain. man. Yeah. Picking him up is like picking up a truck yeah. full of shit. <laughs> yeah. Man, somebody looks like out, they're just, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's no help there, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's another, you know, I remember another one. Uh, I think it was WrestleMania one. The guy you were wrestling, I can't remember his name, African American gentleman. Oh yeah, I've never I seen remember. him before. George Wells. George Wells, yeah. Yeah, with the Alka Seltzer. Yeah, was that what that was? Yeah, with the Alka Seltzer. I yeah. was like, what is that that he's spitting out? That was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah he uh, put an Alka Seltzer in his mouth. Ah, 
<laughs> man. Um, and so was there anyone else that you really, I mean, I remember you had that, 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 uh, run with the Randy Savage too. With yeah. The Cobra. Yeah. And, um, you know, how, how did that, I mean, did you enjoy working with Randy? Oh yeah. We had a blast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, was there was there anyone that you wish you could have worked with that you didn't? Well, let me think there. Well, I wish I could have worked with Bray Wyatt. Mm -hmm. I challenged him on the internet to a stripper's pole match. <laughs> <laughs> but he never got back to me, man. <laughs> Yeah, there's a few guys I would have liked to work with. I can't really come up with a name right now. Mm -hmm. Kind of. Do, do you wish you would have ever had that run on top with Hogan? Sure, I had two matches with him, but that's it. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and and I've heard in the past you talk about this about how they kind of split the crowd because you were kind of a fan favorite at that point. People were cheering you. I was supposed to be a heel, <laughs> right? Yeah, and but so it, it was over fifty percent. Cheering, yeah. mm. and that's the last thing Vince McMahon wanted was a crowd split. Right, right. And well, that's interesting though because they did that with Hogan Warrior, but I guess Warrior was supposed to be the guy to take over for Hogan. Yeah, that was the one time everybody knew it was the handing of the torch. Yeah, right. You you were one of the few guys I think that you you and kind of like Roddy Piper were the type of guys who you yeah. never really needed a belt. You guys were just over no, no matter where you were. That's it. Did you ever have an opportunity to work with Ric Flair? Yeah. Yeah, I worked with Flair a few times. And and how did that go? Good matches. Yeah. They had really good matches. Do you have any idea why you never really had like an extended run with him? Same reason. Mm. Crowd was split. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but nobody wanted to give you the torch to be the top guy, huh? Nope. Is there, do you know why that is? Well, it's probably because of my damned addictions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, what's, what's the last thing they're going to do? See, we can give it to this guy or we can give it to this guy over here that's uh, got a cocaine addiction and is drunk a lot. Yeah. Hmm. Let me think about that. <laughs> mm. Right. You know, another thing I noticed about you is I, I remember watching your, your documentary. Hmm. And there looked to be, I think at one point, a poem you had written. Yeah. I don't remember specifically what it was, but I remember reading it going, that was pretty good. Are you, yeah. do you still write? Yeah. Yeah. I've got a book that's about to come out. Do you? Yeah. Interesting. Is it a book of poetry or is it a book just about your no, life? About my life. Oh, interesting. When is that coming out? The next six months. Oh, right, right. I'm doing it. I'm, the reason it's taking so long is I'm doing it all myself. Oh, okay. So self-publishing. Yeah. Word for word. That's all me. Man. Well, that's going to be awesome considering, I mean, I'm assuming you do a lot of wrestling conventions and things yeah. like that. Yeah. You'll be able to take that book out. Yeah. And so that'll be, I'm sure that that'll be a, a big top seller. Oh, I'm sure it will be. It better be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope so. Right. Now, now tell me, how, how long do you think you're, uh, you got with AEW? I mean, you have a contract with them, but how long do you, do you just, I don't know. I don't know. I guess when they get tired of me, they'll send me home. <laughs> yeah. 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 Is, do you ever foresee yourself kind of just saying, okay, I'm done with wrestling, period, or are you just going to keep going? You got to do something. You know, I've seen too many people that retire and do nothing, and they don't live very long. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like you got to have purpose. You got to have some type of substance in your life that makes you hungry. Yeah. And uh, I'll probably keep signing as long as I'm able to sign my damn name. Yeah. And reason being, it's not for the money. It's for the meeting the fans and talking to the fans and visiting with them and hearing their stories and uh, talking about my match with so-and-so or my <laughs> sometimes they talk about matches I don't even remember. Yeah. You know, and uh, hell, I, I, I argued with the guy the other day about I never wrestled that son of a bitch. About two <laughs> hours later, he came back with his phone, and there I was wrestling that son of a bitch. I'm like, God damn. <laughs> Man, 
That's awesome. Uh, we got a few more minutes. I want to just ask you uh, a couple of questions I ask everybody. Okay. Yeah. What in your mind is your biggest success in life? Reconciling with my wife. Oh. Uh, after all we went through, because she seen me at my worst, and uh, you know she had me thrown in jail a few times. Mm. I deserved it. Mm. But after twenty four years being divorced, we're now back together. Wow. Uh, that's that and sobriety. Yeah. You know, I, I wish to hell I'd known years ago how much fun being sober is. Yeah. But I didn't think it was. Yeah. And that's yeah. simply because I had too many demons that needed to be exercised, you know? Do you think you've exercised them officially? Yes. That's I'm awesome. Scared. I'm not scared of them anymore. That's awesome. You That's know, really awesome. Nothing comes to the table now that makes me want to run. Man. What would you say is your, I mean, we've talked a lot about, I would imagine I know, but what would you say is your biggest failure in life and what did you learn from it? Oh, man. My biggest failure in life was not being there for my kids yeah. or my wife. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a, I was a lousy father, man. Mm. But I'm getting a second chance with my grandkids, and uh, they light me up. They yeah. make me happy. I bet. Do you yeah. like to? Get, did you ever turn on like the WWE Network or something? And be like, look at this is Granddad back in his day. No, I let them. I let them find that stuff out on their own. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, well, let me ask you, the last question I have for everybody is, one day, we hope it's way down the road, you're going to pass away. Yeah. And when you do, someone's going to give you a eulogy at your funeral. What is the one thing you hope somebody says about you in your eulogy? That I had a good heart. Yeah. Well, and... Uh... Yeah. Good heart. Well, like I said, I mean, I shared that story with you. Yeah. Uh, you do have a good heart. You yeah. I, I treat special kids special ways. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're, they're God's children as far as I'm concerned. I had a, a stepbrother that was mentally challenged and uh, to the point that he couldn't even live with us. He had to live in a home. Mm. and uh, he would come and stay with us from time to time and because of his uh, his problems he, he would drool a lot and snot would run out of his nose all the time and he looked pretty nasty mm -hmm. and people making fun of him and uh, pointing a finger at him and saying mean things to him really tore at me because they didn't know how good he was. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if he thought he hurt your feelings by saying something, he would cry to the point that we'd have to take him to the hospital and get a shot. Wow. Because he would cry himself for days. His eyes mm -hmm. would swell shut mm -hmm. just because he thought he hurt you. And yeah. you could tell him, I'm not hurt. It didn't matter. It was in his head that, that he had hurt you. And he didn't want to hurt nobody because he didn't like being hurt. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is, <clears throat> you know, being in the indie scene and, and you know, at times booking names and see, being around some of these guys, sometimes they they come in, they just do their, do their job, they go home. You know, yeah. they don't spend a lot of time. But seeing something like that from somebody who's been at the absolute mountaintop, I mean, yeah. you, you've been. I always do take care of the kids, man. Yeah. And grown-ups that have the issues, too. Yeah, You know, if, if somebody comes up there in a wheelchair, brother, whatever I have on my table is theirs. Yeah. 
It's the same thing with the special kids. Whatever they want on the table is theirs for no charge. Yeah. And I have fun with them. Yeah. I pick at them and aggravate them and get them to <laughs> laughing. I got one kid that follows me around. You know, if I'm within 200 miles of this town up in Pennsylvania, he'll be there. <laughs> and his dad says, the moment he comes inside the building, he starts beaming. Yeah. Because he knows that I'm going to fuck with him. Yeah. That's oh, awesome. I'll, I'll take him with his wheelchair and go over and hide it in the corner. We'll <laughs> leave him there and he'll laugh his ass off. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, man, I got to tell you, this is a, <clears throat> this is a bucket list moment for me. Cool. So I appreciate you coming on. For those you. who've, those who've listened, uh, if you're not a wrestling fan and you hear that Jake, the snake Roberts is going to be at a show. You absolutely got to see him. He's a, you're one of a kind. And uh, you were so memorable in, in a sea of wrestlers in the eighties and nineties that could be memorable. You stood out, you were, you were uncommon amongst the uncommon and that's, well, That's you. really amazing. And so anyway, uh, if you have listened, subscribe. And uh, we got a lot more fun episodes coming up. So, uh, you know, keep listening. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later, Jake. All right, bro. Take care.